Hi, Sacred Tension fans. My name is Matt Langston, and I play in a band called Eleventy-Seven. I'm an artist, a producer, and I also host my own podcast right here on Rock Candy called Eleventy Life. We talk with the people behind your favorite songs and albums, from the writers to the producers, and everyone in between. And we're not asking your favorite artists the same old boring questions like "Where did your band name come from?" and "Who's your favorite Friends character?" We're asking questions like "Why did your marriage fail?" "Where does love come from?" "Is God real?" It is a show about the importance of creativity and pursuing your passion. And we don't let guests leave until it gets a little bit uncomfortable. So check it out right here on Rock Candy and your favorite podcast app. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Long. In this episode, I talk to filmmaker Christopher Maloney about his latest documentary, In God We Trump, which explores the confounding relationship between Trump and the evangelical world. Evangelicals, one of the largest voting blocs in the United States, are wedded to Trump and are largely responsible for getting him into office. Despite their supposed commitment to sexual morality, family values, humility, and truth-telling, they have gotten into bed with one of the most dishonest, immoral, and arrogant conmen the presidency has ever seen. Christopher's documentary attempts to understand this betrayal. How can a group of Christians so dedicated to personal integrity, family values, and sexual purity cast their lot with a figure so blatantly opposed to all that they supposedly hold dear? Christopher explains how this betrayal took place and the rage and hunger for dominance that lurks beneath the pious veneer of American evangelicalism. With that, I am delighted to give you my conversation with Christopher Maloney. All right. Well, I'm here with Christopher Maloney. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I just finished watching your documentary today, actually, and it is very good. You made a documentary called In God We Trump, and it I, I, was, I was really impressed with it, uh, and I learned... I learned some things, and and I learned some things as someone who who considers himself pretty well informed. You know, I I consider myself very well read on all this stuff. But you brought a certain measure of depth and and insight to this topic in your documentary about the the topic, the intersection of Trump's election and evangelicals. And uh, so it was a very, very good documentary, and you did a fantastic job. So well done. Um, I'm, I'm really glad you made it. Thank you. I'm, I'm surprised uh, that you learned something because, like you said, th- those of us who are who have kind of been uh, deconstructing or you know keeping an eye on the way that conservative politics and American Christianity uh, is connected. That we, I, I feel like we know this story so well. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you learned something. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was good, and um, 
very well made, and I was very impressed. Very often with indie films or, or with indie documentaries, I never quite know what I'm going to get when I'm going into <laughs> them. But this one was yeah. very, very good, and I was very impressed and very well done. Thank you. Um, I yeah, there's a there's an old saying that just because it's an independent film doesn't mean it should feel like a favor that you're watching it. You know, like <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. this this is the pinnacle of indie podcasting, and I don't want anyone to do me any favors. <laughs> like, yeah, if, if the podcast sucks, I don't want people to listen to it. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. So, tell us why you did this documentary. What? Uh, where did this come from for you? Because I feel like there is a a, a uh, personal story behind this that we don't get in the documentary about what led you to the point of making this documentary. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, just like everyone else, um, I, I I was very deeply impacted by the results of the 2016 election, and that's how the first the first few minutes of the film start out. Not really with my personal story, but with the personal story of someone that I know, and so that kind of plunged me and millions of other people into a state of grief yeah me too yeah and then um after the like when when somebody dies first it's grief and grief is like when you have you, you don't know what to do with your sadness it's just there and it's it's taking over you and you have no control over it and as the grief turned into mourning when i felt like i could actually uh have some some design over how i was grieving that was when I started wanting to tell the story of how this world that I grew up in, the evangelical community, had, uh, in my opinion, betrayed the country and betrayed so many of us. Um, I haven't been going to church for a couple of years now, and it's, it seemed it occurred to me that what had happened in those couple of years is that the church had just gone over the edge, like over the line that I never thought they would cross. Yeah. So I wanted I wanted to figure out how this community that I know so well got there and how once they got to the line they just kept going. So that was how it all started and it was it started as just I personally wanted to understand that because I you know I grew up in those circles and in a very conservative family in town but I've I definitely you know, very progressive and liberal, um, politically speaking. So I don't really get to be inside that bubble anymore. So I had to figure out for myself kind of what had happened. And the, the way the, the way the story took shape was in film form. That's fascinating. And I think that, yeah, I mean, that curiosity that you're talking about is something that's really been driving me. Um, the curiosity about how other people see the world and and understanding what other people believe in why and i often have to remind myself of this is not necessarily giving them a free pass yeah you know that isn't it at all but i find it incredibly helpful to try to understand why other people do what they do and believe what they believe and it was evangelicals who disproportionately got trump into the White House. Um, they were largely responsible. There, there was a moment at the beginning of the documentary where you were interviewing a, I think, was it a um, Washington Post journalist? That's right, yeah. Um, yes, and remind me of her name. 
Elizabeth Brunig. Okay. Yeah. So you were interviewing Elizabeth Brunig, and she said something that just fascinated me. And I'd like to hear more of your thoughts on this. She said that we, we being, you know, left America, liberal America, totally underestimated the anger and the rage in the evangelical world. And, you know, that isn't an exact quote, but she said something to that effect. Where do you think the rage within the evangelical world, what, what does it look like and where does it come from? Because it was really frustration and rage. It seems to me, and you, you could correct me on this, it seems like it was frustration and rage that led people, that led the evangelical world to compromise their moral values in the way they did to get Trump into office. Yeah. Uh, there, I think there are a few things. Um, in, in the interview, she specifically mentioned how the S- Supreme Court was, like, they decided that it was perfectly legal nationwide for same-sex marriages to happen. I think evangelicals were mad about that. And they're also mad that, like, they've been harping on the issue of reversing Roe versus Wade uh, since the 70s, and it, it's never happened. So right. I think they're they're mad about that. Um, anecdotally, I can say that uh, some of the people that I've encountered who are evangelicals were really, really mad at the the very notion that their leader would be somebody who's not white. So eight years of Barack Obama, I think they got really upset about that. Um, when I was, I used to uh, work in the media department for a Pentecostal church in Kentucky, and I was there during the 2012 election when Obama and Romney were up against each other. And you should have heard some of the the conversations I overheard about that type of thing. Like one morning, this guy said, it it was right before the election. He said, like as a, almost like a a pep talk to everybody, said, guys, we have to get into the booth on Tuesday and get that nappy headed black man out of office. Like, and that was totally like everyone there who was listening, like no one batted an eye. I mean, that was, they agreed with that. So, so the, the racism was part of it. And then like the, the cultural things having to do with sex that I just mentioned. And I had gotten, I, my wife and I got married in 2009. Our whole marriage has been under the Barack Obama presidency. So we've gotten, we had gotten used to just being pretty happy with how things were going in a lot of ways. And I think because of that, we had just kind of gotten out of touch with how much anger there was on the other side. And, you know, he left office with like a 60% approval rating, which is pretty high. So I think the general, I just felt like people were pretty happy with him. So, but like she said, there was this anger building and building, and it was being stoked among other places in the churches. And that was part of what made them turn out. Yeah. So what what fascinates me, and, and you might be as clueless on this as I am, and if so, that's totally fine. But it's something that truly fascinates me is kind of going deeper beneath that fear. So I'm gay. I've been in a relationship for four years. Uh, my partner and I have been together for a very long time. And I came out of the evangelical world. Mm-hmm. And there was anger about homosexuality. There was fear. I, I What I felt like was that there was that, that anger came out of very deep fear and out of very deep cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. Um, at least around the people, uh, at least with the people I was around. I, what I've also picked up is 
And I don't know how accurate this is, so I'm just going to say this. There is a disdain for there there was a disdain for a for a priestly class of any kind, be it scientists who can tell them things that only scientists would be able to know. That or politicians or political scientists or it, or any kind of specialist that and we see this with climate change we see this with evolution we see this with all kinds of stuff that there is a disdain there is a a deep hatred and suspicion of any kind of modern day secular priestly class who can know things that they can't and in a way science in a way these arcane fields of psychology and whatnot, they, they are their own. You know, is what I'm saying making sense? Yeah, I think disdain is the right word for there, it. There is a disdain for it and a suspicion of it and a loathing of it because it would mean that authority is found outside of their worldview. And I think that creates a lot of anger. Yeah, I think there's, there's especially, like you said, a disdain for... Uh, people who are informed or people who are especially knowledgeable or educated. Because um, for a lot of the, the evangelical way of thinking says that like education is no match for anointing. So, so like a, a pastor who's anointed or anyone can kind of call themselves the anointed and it doesn't matter what someone with an education might disagree with them about. The person with the education is secular, so they're not correct and they have no authority. So I think that's part of it. And then just like on a bigger scale, I think, you know, like the United States is becoming rapidly less religious and the evangelicals have been, have kind of had the the lion's share of that market, like religious Americans. They're seen as like the, the normative religious experience in America is to be like a white Christian. So, so now that that, that in general, like the country's becoming a lot less religious, a lot fewer people are going to church. That's really scary to them because they kind of see themselves slowly but surely dying out. So this was like, a, I think voting for Trump was like a just a desperate, drastic act that they wanted to take as a way of saying like, we're here and we're still, we still live here and we still should have, have our say. Um, I think that was part of it. But that, that also is, is based in fear. And then I, a lot of it's just like, things that that evangelicals are just uncomfortable with that they don't want to try to understand like to them it's insufferable that someone would be in a same sex relationship that's that's not something that they have to understand they don't want to understand it they don't like it so it's much more it's much easier for them to vote for people who are against it in hopes that they might be able to change the laws or pass some legislation to make it illegal or something, um, rather than talking to someone or having a friendship with someone who is gay and understanding where they're, what it's like to be them. And in some ways, that's very wise of them, because if they did that, then I think there's an unconscious acknowledgement that 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 would be a blow to their beliefs. And many people do change their beliefs because they are exposed to different kinds of people. Because here's something that I've picked up 
is that they don't have to think, you know, A, I feel like a lot of people don't want to engage with these issues because it would be uh, a con, you know, uh, because they know that it would be a conflict for them. And evangelicalism by its nature requires that you put blinders on because it has, it's a self-contained snow globe. And once you go outside that snow globe, it just falls apart biblically, theologically, <laughs> scientifically, you know, so much of it falls apart. And so in, in order for it to be sustainable, you have to stay within it. So it's kind of like a panopticon. So there's that, but then there's also the reality that uh, in evangelical—well, not a reality, but a, it's a suspicion of mine that in evangelicalism, people don't have to think about things because they make them uncomfortable because intuition is just paramount, I feel like, in a lot of these circles— you know, people really trust their intuitions as coming from God. Um, yeah, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, exactly. The you know, yeah. and this belief that our intuitions are what we are interpreting as the Holy Spirit—they're just our intuitions, and intuitions are often wrong. And but when when we live with an when we live with a worldview that says that our intuition is actually God speaking to us. Yeah. Then that just sets us up for all kinds of destruction as a society. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's um, in the book of James, it talks about how uh, we should be happy when we face trials because it's testing our faith. And these are like like you were mentioning, having a relationship with someone who's a, a quote sinner because they're gay or what have you. I mean, that's going to test their faith too much. And I think they a lot of people in that a lot of people still in the the American church know that their faith is like a house of cards that you could start pulling away piece by piece and it would all crumble and they they know their faith is weak that's why it it wouldn't withstand reason or questioning or really any challenge and I think that was directly related to the eventual faith that they had and have in the president. Like, they are not willing to question him for the most part because, you know, um, it's so deeply intertwined with their faith in God that it's almost like questioning the president would be questioning God. Yeah, you know, one thing that I found myself thinking while watching the movie was that, you know, it it's baffled so many people as to how it is that evangelicals could elect a person who is so— diametrically opposed to their supposed moral values, right? But as I've thought about it, is, are we, you know, as, as one of my favorite uh, YouTubers says, I don't know, it's almost as if they have, uh, it's almost as if they have an incoherent worldview, isn't it? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yep. and, and is it really a surprise to any of us that if we, you know, if in a worldview where intuition is interpreted as the voice and word of God, where scripture is this self-contained, you know, bubble of truth uh, that is infallible and and so on, is it, does it really surprise us then that they would vote against their values? against what against their moral values does that really actually surprise us is that really surprising uh, to us within the context of what evangelicalism has become um yeah. because well it was surprising to me it was it was to me too and but yeah. but it's become less surprising to me as i've thought okay. about it you know <laughs> yeah totally when i started like 
doing research and pulling together interviews for the film, I was still pretty confused about most of it. And then by the end, I felt like I understood all too well. And I remember telling somebody, I, I can, if you watch the film, you'll understand why they voted for him, but it's not going to make you feel any better. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you'll be able to connect the dots a little better, but it's not going to make you have sympathy for them or um, it's, you're, you're going to see it for how sinister it is. It is. It's incredibly sinister. Um, over the course of making this documentary and just this journey that you've been on and the journey of deconstruction, do you consider yourself still a Christian? I do. Yeah. Okay. What does that look like for you now? Well, maybe not a very good one, but I have the the great the great curious curious circumstance of uh, working with somebody regularly who is very a very devout Christian, but also buys into a lot of the Christian culture. So that's where she and I are different. And to her, she, you know, she went to a Christian college, just graduated not too long ago, and like the way that I pursue Christianity. She's never seen anything like it because she's just used to like the institution of the Christian church being a huge, huge part of somebody's faith. So if they're not what she would say, like going to the word every day or going to church every Sunday, then are they really a Christian? I think she's very skeptical about that. But for me, um, it's uh, after everything has been stripped away. Uh, I, I kind of think of it as like a mega church being bulldozed to the ground. Like there was all this bloated, conflated stuff around Christianity right now. And if you took it all away, if you took away the structure and the institution and the televangelists and Dave Ramsey and uh, Christian music, you would still have at the very, the very center, at the very base level, very simply. Um, the life and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I think that he was divine, but I can't really exactly say what that means. But even if he weren't, I'm still, though his words and how he lived his life are very important to me and compel me enough that I want to live like that in some way. So that's why I still consider myself a Christian. But, you know, I, I also think that being a, I, I think that Jesus would be really disappointed that we decided to make a religion out of what he was doing. I think um, so. I, I'm more comfortable saying that I'm a a follower of of Jesus, um, I, not a Christian yet because I just haven't gotten there. But um, it's still that that his life is still how I um, try to understand whoever or whatever God is. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's lovely. To quote uh, Kierkegaard, I am becoming a Christian. I am not a Christian, but I'm becoming a Christian. Yeah, I think it was Maya Angelou said, if anyone tells her that they're a Christian, she says, how can you be a Christian yet? Like, how have you gotten there? So, you know, the the image of Christ as someone who who embraced weakness who died naked on a cross who through through just radical peace try was it was able to shake um the entire world and yet the the evangelical world is so focused on Christ the king yeah. and you know focuses on Christ the king as like this this god emperor 
who who goes to war and is you know a mighty warrior and crushes his enemies and all that could you talk some about could you talk some about that image of Christ that evangelicals have and and how does that correlate to Trump getting elected I think since ever since the 60s and 70s uh, here in America, when abortion was legalized, and also with like the the free love movement, when it became more acceptable to have sexual relationships outside of marriage and to be not ex- to be something other than a straight man woman couple, um, that's ever since that happened, um, the evangelicals were so insulted by that that they've been kind of operating under this persecution complex and they feel like they're the ones being put upon because they have to live in a society where people dare to have sexual ethics that are different than theirs. So I think what what brings them comfort is the thought of Jesus coming back as a king and making it so that they are the ones who feel comfortable and normal and they don't have to tolerate people who are different. So it's like this just wish fulfillment and it also ties into, um, there's a part of the film where we talk about the evangelical attitude toward stewardship of the earth and climate change. Like, that's not important to them because this is not their home. King Jesus is going to come back and take them off to paradise. So who cares if they treat the earth like a trash can? Um, and that, that that's part of it. And so the, the idea of King Jesus um, goes along with their belief that they'll be living as kings too. And they won't be persecuted socially or whatever it is they've convinced themselves that they are you know you're getting you're getting to the heart of why one of the reasons why i see evangelicalism as so dangerous and you know there's there has been some criticism of like well you know why do you focus so much on evangelicalism when they're obviously you know just enormous threats people often say evangelicals are not nearly as dangerous as radical islamic terrorists or and whatnot yeah to which i respond the prison of belief what what lawrence wright calls the prison of belief is blocking evangelicals from being able to to turn the planet around in su- in such a way that it could result in in many times a holoc in the holocaust many times over for developing countries yeah if if we don't change this around with climate change that is why the evangelical world is so dangerous because ideas have consequences and it isn't enough to just look at you know how kind they are or what they you know how how you know what their <laughs> what their heart is you know that's important but also at the end of the day ideas have consequences and they've elected someone to to the presidency who drew out of the Paris climate agreements right and that is why american evangelicalism is so destructive one of many reasons why yeah with when it comes to going solely by belief it it creates the kind of scenario where reason isn't important anymore and so if reason and even basic common sense isn't being given any value then everything can very easily go off the rails there's a the church i mentioned that i used to to work for and it's not even that unique but the the pastor there it was a charismatic Pentecostal church. The pastor there had absolutely no accountability. So no one was questioning ever 
what he did. Um, he didn't have to run decisions by anybody, and he was it was his considered his church. They went there for him to see the show he was putting on. No matter what he, I don't know how far it's gone now because I haven't been there in a few years. But no matter how far he's gone or what ridiculous things he's done or said, they will not leave him. I just know that they won't because they are so wrapped up in the in that world of just beliefs and God's will being mysterious. You know, God works in mysterious ways that they don't have to understand it. All they have to understand is that this guy is a man of God and they'll follow him to the ends of the earth. How and long? That is, Sorry, go on. I was just going to say that is very scary. And that's a it, they, I see the, the same amount of fervor for the president, no matter what he does. And he's admitted that himself. He they won't leave him. His base won't leave him. The evangelicals won't leave him, no matter what he does. How long were you in that church? Not too long. I didn't grow up there or anything. I was only there for, I think, between two and three years. Um, it was very eye-opening for me because I think that since I took the job there, um, they assumed that I just fell in line with all of their political and cultural opinions. So I always felt like kind of a spy in enemy territory. Um, I, I wasn't a member of the church or anything. I just worked there. So I, I got to be, I got kind of an inside look at things I couldn't believe were still accepted opinions. But yeah, I, I didn't grow up there or anything. I grew up in a Nazarene church in Southern Ohio. And that looking back, it's not, I was just thinking about this recently. There was never like the love of Jesus never really was the focus. The focus was more about trying to change the culture around us. And, and back then they had Bill Clinton to be upset about. Right. So, and it's, <laughs> it's just, uh, like I said, it's just gotten a lot more extreme since I stopped going to church, apparently. That, that's fascinating. Did you ever run into uh, Seven Mountain Dominionism? I do not know what that is. You do not know what Seven Mountain Dominionism is? Tell wow. me about it. Okay, well, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So, Dominionism, first of all, Dominionism is the theological belief that all aspects of American life need to come over Christian authority, need to come under Christian authority and under, under Christian rule. So... And this is and this is what a lot of people believed, and th and this is what I grew up with. You know, not overtly, not necessarily within my immediate family, but it was in the atmosphere. You know, in in the churches, in the communities, in the Christian school that I went to, and then I was in youth with a mission, and it was definitely there. And so, dominionism is this really terrifying ideology that is bent on bringing you know, the world under Christian rule. Uh, seven mountain dominionism is the idea that there are these seven mountains of culture. And I'm not going to remember all of them, but it's like the media, government, education. I'm just going to go ahead and look up the the seven mountains. <laughs> okay. Uh, just, just because it's fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, this um, is all, this all sounds familiar, but I, it was never called seven mountain dominionism to my knowledge yeah yeah and you know it, yeah it's just one of those things that kind of permeated the culture yep okay yeah so here are the seven mountains that christians are supposed to dominate education religion family business 
government and military, arts and entertainment, and media. And, great. and yeah, great. And you know that if they dominated, their movies would be just fucking shitty. They would, that would, it would be awful. It would be, I don't know what would be worse. You know, the terrible, terrible movies or like the bridesmaid tale esque government that they put in place. Anyway. Yeah. I guess I I guess what I'm trying to get at is that there is and I'm still forming my thoughts on this because I'm I'm still kind of working through this and working through my own experience in the evangelical world. What I think a lot of it comes down to is power. The de- oh, yeah. the the lust for power, but it is done in such a pious way. Sometimes sometimes it, I I feel like lately it's just been more blatant, but definitely like back in in the mid early to mid 2000s when I was in Youth with a Mission, there was this just underlying assumption that we were going to take over the world. Yeah. There there was this underlying assumption that we were going to take over all aspects of culture and that anything outside of cult anything outside of normal for us and I think there was actually someone in the documentary who said just this that that anything that wasn't normal for evangelicalism is uh is evil and, right. and there's just this innate assumption <laughs> that that was never necessarily that wasn't always verbalized, but it was always there. And it comes down to power. And I wonder if what we're seeing now are the death throes of the evangelical church. I hope so. I Yeah, I do too. I really hope so. Um, when I was a kid, the, the, the culture, like I said, was a huge part of what our church was about and how being Christian was presented to me. Like when I was a kid, the characteristics of Christians, they listened to people like Dr. Laura and Rush Limbaugh, who were always very, very, very uh, narrow ways of looking at culture and right and wrong and who should be second class citizens. And then you voted for Republicans always. You voted only thinking about abortion. Um, And then as far as any type of, I mean, science was like a dirty word, but you had to believe in what answers in Genesis put forth as far as like the world being 6,000 years old and that sort of thing. So that was all, that's what I thought, I guess, Christianity was for a really long time. And then going back to the idea of like getting to the, the, just the basics of this man named Jesus, there's nothing about that in his story. There, there's nothing there. And in, instead, it's so much richer and more beautiful and something that I, as an adult, actually became excited about wanting to do. So it's kind of this, yeah, like you said, the seven mountains of dominionism. It's, yeah, the idea that Christian culture, a very specific idea of Christian culture is what's normative. And I think Christians feel like they deserve it because after all, this is a Christian nation. They're still going with that. That they narrative. they deserve that power, you mean? Yeah, they yeah. deserve that power. They deserve, since whoever it was that came along and tried to take this Christian nation away from them, uh, they're the ones who are in the wrong, and they'll have to pay when King Jesus comes back and they get to be on top of the heap. Yeah. There's something just very fragile and, and brittle and ugly about it. Yeah, it's very ugly. Um, there, even as... Uh, a kid, I remember, you know, not having the words to really put to it yet, but there were a lot of that I saw that I, that just felt a bit off to me. And looking back, it has to do with the idea of 
how Christians should be taking over America and also taking over the world. Like I would, we used to have missionaries come to our church and give us updates and ask for money and that sort of thing. They would show us pictures and videos of the work they were doing. And the work they were doing, it would always result in, like the story they were telling was that these godless savages lived out in the wild and then they came along and they gave them decent clothes to wear so that they could cover up their bodies and so that they could and they would build a church so they could start going to church and that somehow they had like rescued them by de- by domesticating them in a way that they thought they should live and it's kind of like that only on a much larger you know worldwide scale yes um, here's the here's the christian sunday morning church way to live and until that's accomplished, then there's so much work for them to do. So this is a this is a total tangent, but I'm just really curious. I grew up in a section of evangelicalism that was obsessed with Judaism and kind of a, a Christian Zionism. Um, I'm wondering if you've run into that and if you have any thoughts on that. No, I didn't really. Th- that wasn't really part of my experience. Um, I, I mean, I know some people who are evangelical now who are really fascinated with Judaism because they look at them as the chosen people and um, almost like it's a like a just a sainted kind of thing but no I, I don't know I, I don't have too much personal experience with that yeah it's it's fascinating to me because I'm seeing more and more of it in kind of my peripheral communities that I'm still in and out of because my family and and my old friends are still there and it's kind of this appropriation of Jewish culture, which seems just very out of, which seems in very poor taste to me, <laughs> to yeah. to appropriate, you know, to to appropriate aspects of Judaism into evangelicalism and kind of fetishize Christians taking over Jerusalem. It just strikes me as very unsavory, and I know that there was a large base of that as well supporting Donald Trump, and I was just wondering if you looked into that any, but it's a fascinating subject. It is. I know that evangelicals were thrilled with uh, Trump saying that the the capital of Israel was in Jerusalem. Um, That's all part of it. And then I I know somebody who is an evangelical Christian who claims to be Jewish also, Hmm. but I... Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that that's true because some. Me too. Some, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some no, people, I agree. Some other people that we know in common who know this person's family said, "I think there's any. I'm pretty sure she's not Jewish. I don't know why she keeps putting up a menorah every year, but she's. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's it, it is a fetish for some people. Yeah, and it's very distasteful. You know, if you if you want to convert to Judaism, then by all means do so. But but please don't, you know, subsume this beautiful tradition that has been persecuted for thousands of years into your, you know, evangelical Christian whatever. Anyway, so I I recently listened to a podcast called The Arthur Brooks Show. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. And it it's on Vox Podcast, and it's 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 interesting. It's uh, and I agree with a lot of what he says. And it, it, he is a conservative guy. He is the director of the American Enterprise Institute, which is a right wing think tank. But he does this podcast about how to de escalate conversation and how to talk across the aisle. And um, a lot of what he said was useful. A lot of what he said I also thought was un- was naive. And you kind of hit on the, you know, I don't mean to give spoilers, but you kind of hit on this at the end of the documentary, where, yes, it's important to have dialogue. 
It's important to bring people together and to talk across the aisles, to talk to people you disagree with, and that's important. I try to do it as much as I can. What Arthur Brooks says is, you know, we can disagree on the what, but we have to, or we can disagree on the how, but we have to agree on the what. And so we can be united on the what. The what is we want to see poor people fed. We want to see, you know, so on and so forth. But then people just disagree on the how. And he basically says that is the right-left divide, is we agree on the what, but we disagree on the how. Mm -hmm. With a lot of people, I, I think that's true. However, I feel like we are, unfortunately, in an age where we don't agree on the what at all. Yeah, we and, don't. And this is really the problem right now, is that we live in such different universes. And do, you, do we see anyone, you know, of course... I have an in-group bias towards the left because I am on the left, and I'll acknowledge that. I'm waiting to see a, 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 someone on the right make a documentary as, as uh, nuanced and compassionate and eager to learn why people believe what they believe on the left as you have done about them. Does that make sense? Uh, well, I appreciate you saying that. I, I've i been uh, accused of being condescending in my filmmaking, so it's nice to hear the opposite of that. Sounding condescending is just the price of having an opinion. And so... Maybe. It really is. Especially, you know, and it's inevitable that we think, with that people will think that other people are wrong, and that's fine. And people right. people can internalize that however they want to as long as we never as long as we are never deliberately condescending then you know it's whatever yeah there there are a couple of ways like i i mentioned in the film uh, near the end is that you can't have an argument or or an informed discussion with somebody who keeps throwing around the term fake news at everything that they don't like like so like, it is not a good faith discussion no, not and, at all. I mean, if our idea of reality is different, there's no starting ground to have a discussion. So, like, I put together a little, like, a montage um, of Trump just walking out of interviews when he doesn't like the question. So, if he's in the highest office in the world and that's how he handles conversations he doesn't like, then how are the rest of us supposed to behave? Yeah, exactly. And also, like, that's the other thing is that. Um, agreeing on the what, but not agreeing on the how. That I that I do not see that. I wish I did Me because neither. the what, yeah, the what for one thing, reality. We don't agree on reality anymore. There's not only were we entitled to our own opinions, but we're entitled to our own facts and alternative facts now, which is terrifying. We're entitled to our own reality, which is terrifying. Right, and then also there are certain just base level decent things that human beings should have that many on the right don't think are uh, entitled, that pe that human beings are entitled to. Right. Like, like healthcare suddenly is this, so, like a luxury, or uh, like just basic human rights are luxuries somehow. And that the people who are poor and impoverished, if they had just, you know, it's their own fault, if they had just listened to Dave Ramsey's advice, then they would have been smart about their saving and they wouldn't be so poor now. Uh, there's no compassion and there's no agreement on the what for a lot of things. So getting to the how is impossible in a lot of cases with a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of running into this personally as a podcaster because I'm I'm really trying to, you know, in, in kind of the next 
season of of interviews that I'm doing, I'm really trying to find people with whom I do strongly disagree, who are further to the right than I am uh, on in, on many issues. And I know that it's more complicated than left and right, but you know, who are further, who just don't agree with me on various things. And I'm having a really hard time finding people who are willing to come on. And because, you know, if people think that homosexuality is a sin, is sinful, I, I, want to, I want to talk about it with them and ask them what they actually truly think of me and where they think I'll go after I die. And I don't do I don't want to know. I don't want them to tell them to. I, I want them to tell me to my face. I want to have that conversation. I want to have those hard conversations with people because I'm genuinely curious. And no one's willing to have that conversation with me, and I don't know why. But I had the exact same experience with making the film. <laughs> yeah. Exactly the same. Yeah. I, I reached out to so many people who are evangelical Christians who voted for Trump so that I could ask them how their faith informed that decision and how they were okay with it. And I, I reached out through churches locally that I have some connections with. Um, there was a, a producer who was helping with the film based in Kentucky. So she was right in like an area ripe for that, for finding a person to fit that. She couldn't find anybody. I reached out through several social media groups telling them like, here's what I'm, here's the conversation I'm hoping to have. And just even the couple people who I did speak with not a single one of them would cooperate with the documentary because they accused me of being the liberal media and being biased toward the left, which I guess I personally am, but I, I wouldn't have sabotaged anybody or sandbagged anybody. I just wanted to have the conversation and I just wanted to have a camera document the conversation so that I could understand it better. Exactly. And it never happened. Yeah. It never happened. Yeah. And I'm, and you know, so I'm, yeah, I, and I really want to have these conversations because here's the thing is I kind I tend to operate under the assumption that we all have something that everyone else needs and and that that's just kind of how I view the universe is that people who disagree with me they might have a good reason or they might have a perspective or they might see something that I don't see and that is always a possibility I'm having a really hard time I'm sure I will at some point but I'm 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 sure I will get someone onto the show at some point but I'm having a really hard time finding people and I think part of the problem is is not I think part of the problem is that I'm having a hard time finding people who agree on the what <laughs> yeah who, who agree on uh, and I feel like there's really been this polarizing effect where in this current day and age people who were you know more moderate or more on the right are but who agreed on the what they're now they're now basically left you you know they're they're now on the left and and the people who remain are the people with whom we do not agree on the what whatsoever you you know what i'm saying and so there's this polarizing purifying effect um and basically you know i don't mean to spoil the movie for listeners but at, at the very end you you suggest that basically our main hope is for the evangelical church to just die <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I, I guess i did say that yeah you did you basically did and yeah. um i i am loath to agree with it but i do yeah um, I, I i i um that's that's my conclusion um i i don't think i mean president obama said recently people who watch fox news and only fox news compared to people who watch cnn and only cnn they're they're living in different worlds really they're, yes they they're are just, it's you can't compare those two realities anymore so if there's a group of people 
who have totally thrown any notion of reality out the window, along with any notion of decency, just just wait it out and they'll die off. I mean, I, I don't I don't see any germane conversations coming from from people who have thrown so much away. Or we need some like you know the movie the matrix like operation where we rescue people from you know from the uh biomechanical robots who who have them plugged into an alternate reality <laughs> yeah well, you know first first we need a kickstarter to fund that kind of mission absolutely um <laughs> yeah i mean and you know i say that jokingly but i feel like you know i know that i am just my my hope for what I do is that someone will wander to my table and accept the invitation to sit down. And I know that most people won't. And I know that I can't go to a lot of places and that I won't be heard in a lot of places because I'm just too scary to too many people. I'm too out there. Yeah. But the policy that I have is that my table is always open. And and I have I have an ethic of hospitality. Let us sit down and let us reason together. And I hope that uh, that more and more and more people will be able to do that. That's that's great. That's a lot nobler than my purposes. I think. <laughs> my my in, one of the intentions for the film was just for people to see how evil evangelicals are now well that's noble like no i think that's that's absolutely noble um no that i think that is just i think that is just as noble uh in my opinion because people need to uh you know in the words of the fourth step of of the 12 steps make a fearless moral inventory that's right all right well christopher it's been lovely talking to you yeah my pleasure uh, if people want to find you, where can they find you, and where can they they where can they watch your movie? The movie is available right now on iTunes Documentaries and also Amazon Prime Video. And I am on Twitter at Maloney's Movies and Instagram at In God We Trump Film. Awesome. Also, a shout out to uh, Blake Chastain who got us in touch from oh, yeah. from the Exvangelical Podcast. He brought us together. All right. Well. That is it for this week's show. The music is by the Jelly Rocks from the album Bang and Whimper. You can find it on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you listen to music. A special thanks goes out to my team, Justin Bryant and Carson Green, for keeping me sane. They do all the posting for me. They do. They manage the website for me. They do all the graphics. They do a lot of work behind the scenes to keep this show going. Also, a special thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. They are keeping me caffeinated right now. I am just making enough money to buy coffee while I make this show. But that is important. Without caffeine, this show wouldn't exist. So special thanks to my patrons. And if you want to join their number, uh, please do so. I can't do this without my patrons. And for just $5 a month or even $1 a month, you will get an extra patrons-only podcast called The House of Heretics about faith and doubt and unedited conversations with me and Justin. This show is written and edited by me, Stephen Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Media. And as usual, thanks for listening. Yeah.